All right, our first, or yeah, first talk of the afternoon is Jonathan Erber. Jonathan Erber has had a passion for engines and anything that is loud, fast, and fun since he was a toddler. Feeding this interest, he completed his first course in small engineer repair when he was eight years old. While his brothers were studying history and theology, he spent his free time studying service manuals, uh, garbage picking lawnmowers and selling them as a kid, developed into a hobby of buying and selling vehicles in his teens where he continued to hone his technical knowledge and sales skills. He is now manager and part owner at Erber Auto here in Moscow, where he lives with his wife, Allie, and their two daughters. And he's fixed my car many a time and also taught me to sing. So not many people can say that about their car guy. So, <laughs> Jonathan. Well, it's good to be here with you guys. I do want to clarify, um, it might have sounded like we live at Herber Auto. <laughs> my wife might think that is true, and I'm sorry. She's here. <laughs> but we live at home in Moscow, not at Herber Auto. Um, anyway, uh, well, I'm excited to be here to talk about cars with you guys. Um, it's what I love. It's a passion of mine. Um, and I realized as I was putting together what I wanted to say today that um, Probably half of you are really excited about this talk and cars and the other half of you pretty much would rather have nothing to do with them and just wish that yours worked, you know? <laughs> and so, so I was like, what do people actually want to hear? And uh, I would be curious to know of the people that are here, how many of you are actually enthusiastic about your car? Go ahead and raise your hand. I realize I'm asking a lot to raise your hand after you just ate. Okay, cool. Uh, how many of you are enthusiastic about how much you don't like your car <laughs> or cars in general? Okay, so that puts us at about half and half of like, I don't really care about it, uh, which is probably mostly what this talk is geared towards. If you're really enthusiastic about your car, I, I get that, but um, I'm probably not going to give you a lot of what you want if you want to go work on your car or something like that or like be an awesome car buyer or something. Um, this will be, be geared pretty much towards people who, normal people, who use, their, <laughs> <laughs> who use their car and want it to work well for them. Um, so anyway, uh, the, the first thing, and this is offensive to everybody who really loves cars, that you need to understand is that your car is a tool. Um, and that's really all that it is. Everything about your car can be broken down into it being a tool. Um, and so in deciding what car you're going to buy or how much you're going to spend, spend on it, etc., you need to know really clearly what you want to get out of it. And when you think, what do I want to get out of it? Most people think, uh, I want to get reliably back and forth from loose and for work every day or whatever the thing is. They go right towards using it in the typical utilitarian way that you think about it going from place to place. That is good and true, but for a lot of people, it's actually a very small piece of the puzzle. Um, for example, uh, you might have a 60 or 70 year old guy that goes out and buys a 1966 Ford Mustang and, because he loves the car. And that's, that's it, you know. What is he going to get out of it? The largest percentage of what he gets out of that car is actually Saturday afternoon after he's washed and waxed the car, he's not even in it, he's just sitting there looking at it. And, and drinking his Arnold Palmer or whatever, right? That's most of the value for him is looking at his car. So um, I'd encourage you as I give a few examples of, thing, of, of um, value that people find in your car or in their cars, 
what, what is it actually that you find valuable about it? Um, somebody recently sent me a message on Facebook. They had a, found this car in Portland and wanted to know if I thought it would be a good car for them. Um, and my first thought was it's in Portland. <laughs> so there, there must be something that he sees in this that sets it apart from all the cars that are in Moscow. Um, so I asked him, what, what is it that you like about this? You know, and, and uh, he said, well, I like, uh, I want something that's small, fuel efficient, um, sporty. I don't like Miatas because there's only two seaters. So I'm like, okay, he needs to be able to take his friends around with him, you know. Um, and uh, he didn't say anything about it being reliable. But the last thing he said was, and I think it's really cute. And I was like, sweet. That's it. This is your car. Like, that's really all you need to know about it is if you like it because it looks cool, that's, you're, you're willing, if you love something, you're willing to put so much into it and still be happy with it, right? I know people who have had brand new cars that, that they have to put nothing into. They run perfectly and they're, you know, reliable. They do everything they want for them and they hate them. And so they, they get rid of them. Um, and if, if, if that's the case, no, you know, no amount of, fuel efficiency or utilitarian whatever value you can find in it is going to make you happy with that car. But if you just like the way it looks and that's it, well then when you're working on it on the weekends, etc., you're still happy with your car. So knowing what you find value in is going to be important before you go out and buy something or start, start shopping even. Um, do you like the way it looks? Uh, do you like the way it rides? Do you like the feel of the steering wheel? You like where the armrests are? Like these are all small kind of intangible things that really matter if you're going to be happy with your car in the long run. Um, there was some, there was a comment that Mike Church said at the end of his comment or at the end of his, his talk, uh, that this will sound like I'm disagreeing with him on, but I, I think he would agree with me. He said, that uh, don't be afraid of paying a little bit extra for something if you really like it. Or, or, or I think actually the words he used was something like, um, don't, don't be afraid of overspending. I don't believe you can actually overspend for something, period. Um, but there might be things in it that make it worth more to you than to someone else. Does that make sense? So, so knowing what you like and what you find value in is very important. If you just love the white picket fence and the pool and the landscaping, it might be worth more to you because of some of those intangible things that someone else would come along and not even notice. So in car buying, those differentiations are, are important. Um, so then if you're honest with yourself and you're just out of college and you're working, let's say a $12 an hour job um, and you commute a mile every day, um, and you're gonna go out and buy your car. Often people will think, great, I've graduated college, I have a job, um, I wanna get this 2010 Toyota Corolla that's sporty looking, but also fuel efficient and comfortable, and it's got leather seats. Uh, if you think about what you're actually using your car for, tra transporting yourself a mile um, at, for $12 an hour job, your car, if, you're, if you go out and you drop 10 grand on a car, and then you look at how much you're spending on that every month compared to the amount that you're working, it becomes very hard to justify. So, um, so in the case of somebody who's driving a mile for a $12 an hour job, I'd say, forget it. I actually did the math and figured if you bought that kind of a entry level, but cool, nice car, 
um, for a $12 an hour job, after five years when your loan is finally paid off, if you had a car loan for it, you would have worked a year and a half paying for that car. So at that point, you could have bought something for $500 that would have gone a mile every day and had a year and a half of paid vacation. Right? So if, when you're, when you're val putting together what do you actually use your car for, it's very important. If that's all you use your car for, translate that into the hours that you work and see if it's worth the time. So rather than looking at money, look at what exactly do I need out of my car and how much time will it take me to do that? And then say, let's see, a year and a half paid vacation over five years, I probably don't need that. I could probably get by with a rusty old Nissan Sentra <laughs> that I can get for $500 on Craigslist, right? So um, convert it to money and, or not, not to money, convert it to time and see if it's actually worth your time. Um, and, and maybe it's really important to you that when you show up at work, you look classy as ever and you think, yeah, it would be worth working a year and a half to look this cool. Um, if that's the case, you might need some counseling, but, <laughs> but maybe the car stacks up in your mind. Okay. So different people have different things. Uh, uh, if you're, if you work for as CEO of some multi-million dollar firm and you're driving to meet with clients to negotiate million dollar exchanges and stuff, if you show up in a rusty old Nissan Sentra, that deal is down the drain because your ethos is gone the moment you show up. So in that situation, it might be really important that you drive the latest $100,000 car because a $100,000 car is a small investment alongside your tux or whatever you're wearing to sell the million dollar deal, right? So, so in saying that your car is a tool and you need to see what you're actually using it for, there's a huge, huge uh, range of uses that you could find for your car. Um, if, if you're a lawyer, it's going to matter that your car is black, not red. Um, because if I had the choice between two lawyers and I saw one driving a red car and one driving a black car, I think the guy with the black car, for some reason, subliminal messaging tells me that that guy is going to win my court case other than the red guy with the red car that doesn't really care about his job and is mostly into cool red cars or something. You know what I mean? So be aware of what you actually want out of it and convert it to time that you're going to have to work to get that back out. Um, it could be that renting that $100,000 car to go to your meeting is a good way out if you don't have the $100,000 car or $100,000 to buy the car, but you can rent it, go show up, make the deal, give it back. And the $500 you spent renting it was the best investment. And now you can keep commuting in your $100 or $500 Sentra, you know, or whatever. So anyway, um, all that to say, your car is a tool and everybody has a different piece of what's important to them. Um, so that, that being the case, um, I'm going to leave deciding how much you want to spend on your car or what is a minimum that you would think is a good choice or the maximum you would think is a good choice to you and your, uh, and your wisdom there. Um, but what you need is going to affect how you buy it. Um, if you are in the case of the hundred thousand dollar car, um, if you're needing these always brand new, really expensive cars, leasing is a great option because every two years you get a new car. The payments are smaller than um, if you buy the car. Uh, 
And if anything happens to the car, it's a leased vehicle. So you don't have the liability of it. Um, leasing could be a good option if that's what you need is always the newest car every two years. Um, the, the downside of leasing is you end up with no car at the end. All your payments are there. And then when it's done, you don't have it. You, all that money's gone. Um, but it's still better than buying a new car every two years because as soon as you drive off the lot, your value plummets um, like big time. I knew a guy that bought a $40,000 pickup, drove it around for a couple months, couldn't afford the payments, went to back to trade it in or try to get rid of it and found out it was now worth 45 or four, sorry, 30, $30,000. So he ended up in three months, he was upside down $10,000 in his loan on his car because immediately driving off the lot, he lost all that value. So leasing is a great option if you need something new because it avoids that drop off. Um, other than that, leasing is pretty much not a good option. So you've got leasing, uh, financing or paying cash. Financing is almost never a good option. Um, again, because your car is a liability. Uh, frankly, it's, you, you wanna make it an asset if you can, but for the most part, for most people, it's, it's uh, on paper going to be a liability. Um, you will lose money on it over time. Um, that was one thing I saw that kind of differentiated this talk from house buying, uh, spouse acquisition. <laughs> was that the talk before it? Communication with aliens, something like that. <laughs> and, uh, job advice before that. Anyway, all three of those are, you're get you're hopefully getting an asset. Uh, not the case with cars. <laughs> Um, but anyway, uh, so financing is not a good option for the, usually for that reason. Now, if you're, if you, let's say you are commuting hundred miles across the desert every day, you don't have the money to buy a car, uh, but you you just landed a job and you need to make sure that you get across the Nevada desert without dying. Cause if your car breaks down in the middle, you will probably die. Then maybe financing is a good option there. But again, it, it means going back to your, looking at your car as a tool and seeing, what do I actually need this for? And will I, although I'm going to lose money on paper by financing this car, gain money in the long run by doing that? Usually it's not a good idea, but there may be a situation there where financing is a good idea. The, the main thing to watch out if you decide to finance a car is that you don't end up upside down in the loan. So definitely don't finance a new car. If you need to finance a car, go two years old or older, because those first two years are deadly for the value of a car. Um, I highly recommend always buying cash. And there's two reasons for that. One is if you buy it with cash and it breaks, you don't have a paperweight in your lawn that you're still paying on. Um, oh, back to financing. Somebody just last week came into the shop with a car. Um, the engine's blown. They bought it two weeks ago. They still have not made a payment on their car because they got zero down deferred payments. Um, so she's saying, I have to fix my car. And I'm saying, you can't fix your car. Like at this point, you're gonna owe so much into this thing. If you just took the money to replace the engine and went and bought something new, you'd be way better off. And she's going, but I owe all this money on my car. And the thing I was trying to communicate to her is, yes, you do, and that was a bad move, <laughs> first of all, but you would be better off letting that thing sit in your yard and pay for it over time and go buy something different because the car had other issues going on with it. Um, if, you're, if you finance something, you are overextending what you have at that, at that time. 
So how to keep from overextending yourself and get a, a car that's gonna be a good tool for you. Um, the first thing I recommend is looking at how much you can put into savings. You want to have a savings account for your car. Um, not just for the car you own, but for the next car you're going to have. So let's say you look at your budget, you go, I can set aside $100 a month. Go online, grab an online like uh, auto loan payment calculator and find out if I have $100,000 a month that I can put towards a car, how much car can I get? You find out, oh, it's about a $5,000 car uh, over you know, a five-year loan. So if you can save $100 a month, you can afford a $5,000 car. It doesn't matter if you have $10,000 in savings right now. Don't buy more than that. Buy what you can afford and then start putting money into savings. Because five years from now, when you go to buy your next car, you want to be able to get something that's maybe a little bit nicer. And also, you want to have the money on hand to maintain that car. So if you go buy a $5,000 car um, and all you had was $5,000, and then like this lady, the next week it breaks down. Now she has no car and no money um, and she's stuck. So now she's looking at going and financing another car because she can't afford to fix this one. So, and it ends up just being this mess, this total mess. So if you have $5,000 um, and you can only save $100 a month, my recommendation is you don't have a savings account now. So buy a $3,000 car, which is still gonna be reliable and a good enough tool for most people. Hang on to that $2,000 so that if something happens to the car, you have money to put towards it to fix it. And then start adding 100 bucks every month or whatever you can to that $2,000. And eventually that $2,000 will be 5,000, 7,000, 8,000, whatever, even at only $100 a month. And you have a car that you can sell to go buy something new. So you have an asset on hand, plus protection if that engine breaks or whatever happens. So whatever the, the, the long and short of buying with cash is whatever money you have is not what you can afford to buy a car with. Does that make sense? Um, look at how much you can save and then start socking that away and then buy how much, ever much that savings could afford on a car payment. Um, that way you're not ending up, um, cutting your feet out from under you or something like that. There's some kind of a saying there, right? You know what I'm saying? Maybe I hope. Uh, anyway, moving on. So, uh, so that's how I recommend budgeting things. Um, uh, then when it comes to the actual purchase, um, you can buy from a private seller or you can buy from a dealership. Those are your options. Um, the, the upside to buying from a dealership is you are buying from somebody that is in one place. And if something happens to your car, or if you end up with a total lemon, you can go back to them. Um, and there are lemon laws in place to where if you buy a car from a dealership, and you have tons of problems with it, you can go back to them and wash your hands of it, get your money back and be done. Um, so if you go to a dealership, it is a safer option. Um, but that said, a $5,000 car at a dealership is, and I'm just gonna operate in this budget range around three to $5,000 because you can get a decent car in that price range. And if you're just out of college, you probably don't have a lot of savings, most people. And so it's a good spot to buy. Um, and it'll, it'll be reliable for most people. So um, anyway, so you have your $5,000 car. What was I saying? Talking about buying. Oh yeah, $5,000 car from a dealership might be if you went private party and bought something off of Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace or your coworker <laughs> or wherever you find a car, you might be able to get it from somebody else like that for 2,500 or 3,000. You could expect somewhere between, I would say a 70 to 100% markup by going to a dealership. 
Um, and part of that is just that people, there are enough people selling cars that don't want the hassle, that they'll sell them cheap. I bought a car from a guy in Pullman for $1,300 with 64,000 miles on it. And I, I called him, I saw the ad pop up. I called him, I said, I'd like to get this car. He said, um, well, I'm firm on the 1300 because the dealership will give me 12. And I was like, okay, you know, I'm coming right now to get the car. And he's like, how soon can you be here? And I said, yeah, I'll be there in 45 minutes. And then I heard him yell, we wait 45 minutes. And I was like, what? This guy wanted to get out of town and he had just graduated and didn't realize I have a car here. And so he went down to the dealership. The dealership said 1200 and he thought I can do better than that. And so I gave him 13 and showed up 45 minutes later with a car that had 64,000 miles on it. That's like 15 years worth of use left still, you know? So there's enough people out there that just want to be done with their cars that if you have time, you can get crazy deals buying privately. Um, and for the most part, it's not like house buying where, oh, I raised my kids in this house. I have all this sentimental attachment to it. Most people hate their cars. <laughs> so that's good for you. <laughs> so I am a huge proponent of buying private sale. Um, because of the deal that you can get. Uh, to me, the uh, one out of 10 cars that are gonna break down and you're gonna wanna take back to the dealership is not a high enough odds against you uh, to go save half your money by buying privately. Um, uh, so that said, um, dealerships are also easier. You go to one place, there's a whole bunch of cars lined up, you choose one, you're done. Um, so for some people, that I've talked to even, they're like, I don't have time. I just got the job, it's starting tomorrow. I need to be able to get to work. Go buy a car from the dealership. Uh, if you're here in Moscow, um, C&T is a fantastic used car dealership. Uh, highly recommend them. We do a lot of inspections for them too. So we see all the cars that, not all the cars, but a lot of cars that are being sold by them and they're fantastic. So a little plug for C&T. Um, if you buy private seller though, get a mechanic to do an inspection for you. Mike kept saying, uh, like, surround yourself with trusted professionals. That's, a, that's very important. Um, get get an in, a mechanic to do an inspection on you, or for you. <laughs> uh, sorry about that. <laughs> it's not what I meant to say. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, there have been a lot of people who, and I tell this to everybody, go buy privately, get someone to inspect it. Uh, I even say, don't buy this, 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 and this. Uh, and then sometimes people go buy one of those and don't have me inspect it. And then I'm there to clean up their mess, unfortunately, usually with a pretty big bill because I don't usually say don't buy a car if there's not an important reason. So if you have a mechanic that you trust and he says don't buy something, listen to him. It's probably for a reason, um, especially if he's not the one selling the car because then he has no stake. Um, so then you're going to buy a car privately. And I'm going to assume that we do that. If you buy a car dealer from a dealership, it's easy. You go down there, you say, I want this. They're happy to take your money and walk you through the steps. So they will take care of you there if you go through a dealership. If you're buying privately though, the uh, number one tool I recommend in, in deciding whether the car is a good buy um, is looking at the person you're buying it from <laughs> and not even really the car. If the person is the type of person who always takes your car to the dealership, they're probably also the type of person who's not trying to save money on their car repairs. They probably take care of every little thing when it pops up. 
um, if they have a stack of, of uh, service records for it, they're the type of people that care about their car enough to save the service records. Um, so people that have, who you can kind of profile them as the type of people who just take care of their cars like crazy are who you want to buy a car from. If you go to look at the car and the guy has junkers in his driveway and it's obvious that he works on his own stuff, probably not the kind of person you want to buy from. Now, you might have a crazy deal there that makes it worth going and taking to a, me a mechanic for an inspection. And maybe there is a really good deal there. So I'm not ruling those out entirely. If you want the best deals, those are usually the places to go. But um, most often, you're going to save money in the long run by buying from somebody who's taking care of it, or it was their grandma's car and they used it to go to Winco or that kind of a thing. Um, if it has a turbo and a 17 year old is selling it, don't buy it. <laughs> Especially if there's paint on all the little things inside. It, it's stereotyping is effective. So <laughs> stereotype your, uh, your seller and see if that's the kind of person you want to buy from. Um, and then a very easy one, is get a Carfax report. Uh, a lot of shops will report the VIN number to Carfax whenever they do work on it. Um, if they do, uh, you'll see all the service records that that person ever had done on their car. Um, now, that's not to say that any car that you buy that doesn't have a good Carfax report wasn't being worked on because some shops don't report to Carfax. But if you go look up a Carfax car and there's just pages of service records, then you know you had somebody as a previous owner who is regularly taking care of their car. That's great. Um, some people have ventured out into buying um, auction cars, which you can get crazy deals there. Um, if you do that though, only buy ones with impeccable Carfax records, because usually the, or, or often enough auctions are a mill for junkers. Um, I have a, a brother-in-law who's a lawyer and he sees this probably clearer than anybody else, that uh, dealers will buy a car from, a, from an auction, decide if it's worth putting money into, and if it's not, they send it back to the auction and buy another one. And they just run through them like that. And so the, the auction is like this, auto auctions are like this pool of junk. And there's like enough gems in it that it's worth people just continually sifting through. So, there are some gems. One of the nicest little Honda CRVs that any of our customers have, she actually has two CRVs, came from auction sites and the service records are just beautiful. And then it ends with uh, salvage title and you can see it's got rear end damage. That's awesome because then you can go get a new rear bumper and a rear door and you just got like a $6,000 car. I think she got it for 800 bucks. And then she went to a junkyard, pulled a back door and a bumper, put it on and the car's beautiful. So if you really wanna save money and spend some time, that's, that's an, a, a cool way to go. But usually I would not recommend that. Usually I would recommend um, either a trusted dealer with an inspection like CNT or uh, private sale with an inspection uh, with, with a mechanic. Um, okay, kicking tires, going to look at the cars. Um, before you go and look, make sure that you are not attached to the car, unless you are absolutely attached to the car. If you are... <laughs> If you are absolutely attached to the car, don't even bother with negotiation uh, because they probably know and can see in you that you are attached to the car and it's done. If you want a deal though, go telling yourself, I am unattached to this car. There are many more like this. 
like write down a whole bunch of things that just make you think of how normal and mundane the car is. So that when you show up there, that's what you've been rehearsing. And it's very easy to go, eh, I'm gonna keep looking because you just heard yourself telling yourself that over and over, right? Going in unattached is great. Um, and will save you from making stupid impulse buys. Um, so, uh, so that's one thing. Um, then when you're actually in the negotiation, nobody ever sells a car if they don't want to. So to a certain extent, you don't need to be afraid of lowballing somebody and hurting their feelings. Um, if you lowball somebody and they get their feelings hurt, they'll probably just say, and spew a bunch of garbage at you and you can leave. <laughs> it's done. Uh, but, um, uh, so, so because of that, I usually recommend in person only offer what is a reasonable offer. But there's a lot of people who have cars sitting on the market for forever and you would do them a service if you lowballed them. So if you go and you're looking at ads and you see this one's been sitting here for 20 days and it's still for sale, send them an email and say, I think I'm interested in this before I waste each other's time by me coming and looking at it. I want you to know I only have 3000 bucks to spend on this. If that's something that you would consider, let me know. Uh, if not, thanks for, you know, reading my email and then be done. And if you do this 10 times, there are people who will say, yes, that sounds good by me. Um, and so you can get really, really good deals just by saying, hey, I have this if you want it. Um, usually those ads are slightly overpriced. And so they've sat for a long time. The person doesn't know what it is. And so it's been sitting out in their yard for a long time with a for sale sign. And you know, like, this is actually an awesome car. Or if you're like maybe thinking of flipping it, you know, there's a huge market for this if I put it on eBay, because all of a sudden I open up a national market. But that gets more into investing things and not for, for the every, everyday person. Um, so anyway, look for those ads that are maybe, if you really want a good deal, like a crazy good deal, look for bad ads, <laughs> which I know is going against what I just said earlier, but earlier was talking about getting something that's reliable. Um, this is talking about, you don't really know, but you're getting a great deal. Um, you can go and say, this is a bad ad. It's maybe a little bit overpriced. Um, I've gotten crazy deals because people don't put contact information in the ad. And so I copy their ad and repost it. And then, but I make the text interested in your car, contact me with my number. And then people go on Craigslist and they're looking, they're like, there's my car, someone else is selling it, you know? And then they contact you and you're the only one that got in contact with them because nobody else could. <laughs> so that's a great option. Uh, anyway, you can be creative in, in finding these deals. Um, but don't feel too much like, oh, I'm gonna hurt their feelings if I offer too little. Um, if it's, if it's a, a fair offer and you're there in, in person, you can say, look, I'll give you this much for it. And if, if that's not something that interests you, you know, thanks for your time. Um, that's okay. People don't really, in my opinion, ever do anything that they don't want to do, period. Um, and maybe they'll finally sell it to you because they just want you to leave. And, you know... <laughs> You don't want to put them in that place if you're, in, if you're a decent human. <laughs> um, at least I don't want to be in that place. So I don't usually try to do that. But um, don't feel like I shouldn't offer this because it's gonna hurt their feelings. Um, and if it does, and there's really no other reason why it should have hurt their feelings, that's their problem. Um, uh, so my recommendation is if you're gonna go buy a car, 
uh, and it's the average decent car, good ad. You go there, you pull out your cash because people like to see cash. You say, I am interested in your car. I've got $3,000. Would you take it? And then shut up and just wait. And they might hem and haw and whatever. And sometimes this can go on for a really long time. Just wait. Just wait for them to say what they want to say. Because all they're hemming and hawing is usually trying to get you to go, oh, okay, I'll give you more. You know, if they're hemming and hawing, they're probably already ready to make the deal. Uh, if they didn't want to make the deal, they just say no. So if they start hemming and hawing, you're probably good. Just be quiet and wait. There was one guy who did this to me, a uh, little side story, standing on the side of Jefferson Street, he wanted to buy four tires from me. And I told him absolute lowest I would go is 150. And he said the absolute highest he would go is 100. And I said, well, this sounds like we don't have a deal, you know? And he's like, come on, man, we're arguing over 50 bucks. <laughs> and then he stood there staring at me. And I was like, oh, we're playing this game. So I just stood there staring at him. <laughs> and then, after a long time, I started counting. And I got to like 120 seconds before finally he said something, which had to be over two minutes, that we stood there, him holding 100 bucks, me standing there, and we were just staring at each other. <laughs> it, was the, it was awkward at first, and then I was just laughing inside. I was like, this is hilarious. Um, and he never actually accepted my $150 deal. He just said, well, let's put him in the car. So we did, and he handed me 150 bucks. So anyway, uh, make your offer, be honest, be upfront. Don't try to manipulate people. I don't, I'm not the type that likes to go look at a car and then try to make them feel bad about their car so that they sell it to you cheaper. If it's a, people know what they have. If you know what they have, be straightforward. Just say, this is what I can give. And if it's less than you think it's worth, Say, I know this is less than it's worth, but this is what I have. Um, and if, if someone then goes through and sells it to you, that's because nobody else has come along and offered more than that. So does that make sense? You're not manipulating somebody into getting rid of, out of money. You're, you're saying, this is what I can do. Um, and then let it go with that. Um, so yeah, crazy deal guidebook. If you want to go that route, look for bad ads. And, and, and then tell them what you have. And then maybe you get some, maybe you don't, but you'll get a great deal eventually. Um, just a general, like easy, straightforward, normal purchase. Find a good ad, profile the person, take it to a mechanic to get inspected, and then make a decent offer. And, and if you do that, you'll get a, good, a much better deal than going to a dealership. Um, although, like I said, dealerships are not, uh, they're not bad. Um, they're just different, uh, usually a different set of value there. Um, okay, savvy ownership. Um, cut the crap. If you want to see a whole shelf full of crap, go to AutoZone and look at the wall with all the fluids. And then look at some of the claims on the bottles. The thing you need to know is that you cannot fix mechanical problems with liquid. <laughs> and then that's it. That's it. Uh, if your engine is knocking, uh, the only thing that the uh, Lucas Oil Additive is going to do is quiet it up and get you maybe another 50 miles, which in town here in Moscow could be 25 days to work and back, right? Which maybe is a really good thing. So there are times, I'm not saying that everything on that shelf is garbage, but you have to be honest with yourself. This is not fixing my car now that the knock is gone, but it is buying me a little bit more time to do some shopping. Um, so if you have a mechanical problem, um, stock, stop leak, transmission fix, oil additives, 
injector cleaners are not going to fix your car um, and spending money on them is not a good move. Uh, that said, there are awesome things that can be done with those fluids if your problem is not a mechanical one. So again, surround yourself with trusted professionals. And if they say you have a blown rod bearing, don't go put fluid in to try to cover it up. If they say you've got a sludge problem in your car, that's why it's ticking. Go grab some engine flush and run it through your car. All of a sudden you fixed a problem, but it wasn't a mechanical problem. It was a filth problem. Your, your, your car had dirt in it. So um, most of those bottles though, with terms like transmission fix, don't, don't stand up to what they say they'll do. Um, so in general, don't go that route. Um, do your regular maintenance. I recommend uh, for, your, for your car, do oil changes twice a year. For most people here in Moscow, that's enough because there's two ways that your oil wears out. One is the oil actually breaks down from the engine beating on it. And the other is when your uh, combustion happens, the byproduct of combustion is moisture. Another byproduct of combustion is sulfur. The two mix and you end up with sulfuric acid in your oil. So you have sulfuric acid buildup from mostly when your car is cold and you have your engine just being beat to death by being driven. If you're doing cross country trips, your oil is gonna wear out because it's being beat to death, but it's always hot. So all the steam's going out the tailpipe. If you're here in Moscow going back and forth, your oil is gonna wear out because of sulfuric acid buildup because there's only enough additives to, observe, to absorb so much sulfuric acid into your oil. And at that point, it can't do it anymore and you end up with acid going through your engine, which destroys your engine. So in Moscow, you're dying, your oil is wearing out because of one reason. On the highway, it's wearing out because of another reason. Usually rule of thumb, it ends up balancing out to about do your oil change twice a year and, and you'll be good. At most mechanics, uh, we, we do this at Herber Auto, will do an inspection alongside your oil change. Um, when, they, when they do that inspection, they tell you what's wrong with your car. Um, if they're good at their job and they understand that you are unique, they will only advise you in the things that help you use your car as, a good, as, as the tool you want it to be. Um, so also, when you go to talk to your mechanic, realize that your needs are unique. So if they say, your car needs this, 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 and this, say, what happens if I don't do that? And if they say, well, your wheel could fall off. Um, say, well, how far am I from that falling off? If they say, uh, any day, you should probably get it done. If they say, <laughs> I don't know, all these problems deteriorate at different rates. And say, is there a way that I'll know when it's deteriorating? You know, I mean, if that's not something you want to just spend money on and get fixed. Some people, they're only going to have their car for another six months. And so it doesn't make sense for them to go keep it in tip top shape because you might put a thousand dollars converting your car into a tip top shape tip top shape car and it's only going to improve the value of the car like a hundred bucks. So it's not a good investment. Um, similarly, uh, cars have different amounts of life ahead of them. So if your car has 200,000 miles on it, you go to your mechanic and he says it needs this. Ask him, what's the cheapest part I can put on this? Because in 20,000 miles, the car's going to be dead anyway, you know? Uh, but if it's brand new, you don't want the cheapest part. So there's a variety of grades of parts even that you can use that can help you be smart with uh, how you repair your car in a way that suits how, what kind of a tool your car is for you. So it goes back to your car being a unique tool to you and you being a unique car user. Okay. So make sure that you're communicating with your mechanic, what your priorities are and what your values are um, so that they can help you know how to do the maintenance right. Um, also, 
every, every manufacturer of a car has a list of recommended maintenance. Some of this is required by law. Um, and so there will be cars that if you look at the recommended service ma uh, maintenance, it says uh, change your timing belt every 90,000 miles unless you live in uh, Massachusetts and Ohio, I think were the two that I saw the other day, in which case the service inter interval is 120,000 miles. What? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. If you live like cross the border, oh, now your car's gonna run really well. It just doesn't happen that way. So, uh, so, I, so those service re uh, maintenance um, schedules are good to a point, but again, find a trusted professional that you can talk to and say, what do you recommend? What's actually recommended here? Maybe do some online searches, see what people recommend online. If they don't recommend changing your timing belt every Subarus recommend it, some Subarus every 30,000 miles. I recommend it every 120 because it just doesn't wear out that fast. Um, so anyway, um, talk to your, find a mechanic that you trust and talk to them. Um, you, again, your needs are unique. Um, so when, if you're looking for a mechanic, most of you are from Moscow. I recognize most of you out there. Some of you are not. If not, and you wanna find a good mechanic, Go, uh, I mean, you can use ancient methods of talking to your friends. You know, what do you recommend? And they tell you. Uh, you can also use the internet. Uh, Facebook um, is, is a great option. Go find uh, the local quilting club if you're into quilting and say, what do you, anybody recommend a mechanic in the area? People love or hate their mechanics. And so you will find out what everybody thinks about the mechanics in this town. Um, it's, it's quite uh, entertaining actually when it happens around here to, to watch and see what happens. Um, but you don't have to be a part of any like special automotive related club. If people like their mechanics, they're really loyal to them and you will find out. So find a local group online and, and ask them and, and go with that. So that's a good way to find, uh, to find a mechanic. Um, and then communicate your budget to your mechanic and what your needs are. If they're not willing to work with it, um, Maybe you want to find a different mechanic. Uh, you, it's hard to fault a mechanic who gets tired of the variety of people out there and just decides we're going to do our repairs this way. Um, which the good thing about that is as long as money's not a factor, you will always get your repair done right. Um, if money is a factor, maybe you would want to find someone that would do cut a corner here or there to economize or uh, you know, look at your car and say, it's got a thousand miles left and you need those thousand miles. We'll use this cheap part from Amazon if you can wait three days. Because <laughs> that's a, actually a, a valid solution uh, for a car that's that close to its death, you know. Um, so uh, talk, to your, talk to the mechanics, see if you can find somebody who's going to be good at that. Um, if budget is a priority for you. And again, looking at this audience being life after college, I'm somewhat interpreting as that, that as life immediately after college, when money is less uh, free flowing maybe than um, when you've been investing and saving for 50 years. So, uh, so that's why that advice now. Um, little tip from a mechanic, ask when to expect your car and then don't call them until it's supposed to be expected. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I literally had a mechanic or a, a customer. I almost said it would have been done by now if you would please stop calling. 
uh, anyway, uh, okay, lastly, selling your ride. Uh, I recommend keeping your car up as you go along to the standards that you would want to have it in when you go to sell it. The reason is, if you're going to keep, get the, the car back to a certain level or a certain standard before you sell it, you're going to get the car back to that standard at some point, which means you might as well have done it earlier and enjoyed it uh, while you had it. So if, if you have the money to keep a car up to the standard you want it to be when you sell it, do it right away. That way you don't feel like I'm always driving a clunker. And then right before you sell it, you fix it up and go, oh, I should keep it. You know, enjoy what you have and do it maybe thinking, would I do this if I was preparing it to sell? Um, and that's a great way to, to have a car that you'll enjoy and not when you go to sell it, all of a sudden need to sink a bunch of money into it. So I hope that's been helpful. Um, I hope there's something in that for everybody uh, and that it wasn't too much of a drag. <laughs> Thank you guys.